folks, welcome to the Ronin Rabbit, a Usagi Ojimbo fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. This is episode 87, for those of you that keep track of such things. If you want to send feedback, you can email me at usagipodcast at gmail.com. Ronin Rabbit has a Google Plus page. BigTimeNoise.com slash Ronin Rabbit is the website. You can leave comments there. And on Facebook, I post these episodes on the Usagi Yojimbo Dojo Facebook page. Thank you, Steve. Also, Teal, T-E-A-L Productions on Twitter. Uh, will also get your comment to me if you tweet. All right, for the show today, I'm going to be looking at Usagi Yojimbo Volume 3, Issue 13, Cover dated May 1997. It is the first installment of the Grass Cutter storyline. Probably the uh, most referred to, most talked about multi-issue story arc that Mr. Sakai has put in this book to date. Um, I believe that would be fair to say. I see this one mentioned more often than just about any other. So we start off, uh, the the book basically is uh, is... A series of vignettes, three vignettes, each labeled a prologue. Uh, my assumption is a prologue to the grass cutter storyline. Each prologue, the the, um, th- the things that occur in each prologue move chronologically from the distant, distant past closer to the present, uh, to Usagi's present. So they, they do follow a system. Each adds a little bit of information to what we will uh, come to learn is the grass cutter. So we start initially way at the beginnings of perhaps the universe. We are dealing with the kami. Now the kami, um, turns out there's not really a direct um, correlation between any English word. Um, A lot of people think of kami as synonymous with gods. Uh, Mr. Sakai prefers synonymous with uh, a deity or, or something of that nature. N- not necessarily a capital G god, but a um, maybe more like a spirit, kind of like the Manitou of um, Native Americans. So we're, we're looking at several kami, and, and basically we have a an A begat B begat C begat D kind of um, uh, chronology going through here. A couple pages until we get to Uzanagi and Uzanami. Um, they were ordered by a higher level kami to uh, consolidate this uh, primordial matter that was the universe at this time into Earth, to, to create Earth in essence. And they were given um, a spear, um, I guess kind of a totem, uh, with which to exert their powers. So, in doing so, they create the uh, island Anaguro. And from that island, the Japanese islands would develop. Apparently, there were many ways that su- succeeding generations of kami were, and that's K-A-M-I, in case I'm not enunciating correctly, um, were uh, born, were brought about. Uh, some came from the deaths of preceding 
generations. They would spring from the eye or the mouth. They would spring from the font of blood from a death or the pool of blood from the death or things like that. Um, have run into that some in uh, Greek and Roman mythology, but not to the extent that that these small stories did here for um, Japan. It seems the gods, I guess, were above, no pun intended, um, physical mating. And so that was not the preferred method of creating succeeding generations, apparently. Uh, It was much more violently done, springing from body parts and coming about due to the death. Um, As we follow these two kami, again, Izanagi and Izanami, uh, Izanagi, or no, Izanami is a female, and her life came to an end via uh, uh, kami birth, via childbirth. And in his anger, Izanagi killed all of the offspring that she had or was having. Um, and, and the way that it is, uh, it struck me here in these couple of panels that Mr. Sakai tells us, it's almost as if he is doing at the time of creation. He, he is dispatching them as they um, quote unquote pop out. Well, their birth caused her death, and he he was very distraught, which led to that. But ultimately, he went to the uh, portals of Yomi, um, a land where the kami go once they die, to see if he can bring back Uzanami, Izanami, excuse me. And she talks with him and says she will be happy to leave tomorrow. Um, until then, I must go back inside the, the fortress that is, uh, I would take it, Yomi. Uh, he must remain outside because she is dead. She belongs there. He is not. He does not belong there, so he cannot, he cannot enter. Well, he waits and waits and waits and waits. And, and it, it goes past the time frame that she said, please wait. I will be back, and then we will leave. Uh, so he gets curious and enters and sees her in a state that she did not want him to see her in because she again is dead so she is consorting with creatures of that ilk and he was not prepared for it he is taken aback and she because of the shame and the disgrace of having been seen like that attacks him Um, so Izanagi runs out ultimately closes the uh, way to, he entombs her, uh, the entrance to the lands he um, seals so that she can't get out, but so that nobody uh, else can get in, ultimately meaning that they will never see each other again. She can't get to the land of the living and he can't get to her land, the dead or semi-dead or however you want to position that. Um, It goes on with his life. He starts having and and begatting and whatever other commies. So we then move our um, narrative to following Susana O, who is also a commie. He is living in the land of Izumo, uh, at the headwaters of the river Hai, or He. And he sees some uh, sticks in the water, follows them back, and he finds 
a trio of people, a husband, a wife, and a daughter, all of which are commies, um, minor commies, the, the man, Ishinazuchi. Uh, now, all of the commies um, that I have spoken of have had names, but I, I have refrained from uh, bombarding you with these names because most names are three or four parts, and they sound very, very similar depending on uh, the generation which they describe. So I have tried not to just throw all these out. Um, and this one really is going to turn out to be no exception. He is not the protagonist of the story. Uh, Susana O oh is. But nonetheless, Ashina Nazuchi is the father, his wife, and daughter. It seems that uh, this is the last surviving daughter because they were attacked by a serpent, uh, an eight-headed serpent, and eight other daughters were killed. So Susana decides that he will go and uh, he will play the hero and he will kill the serpent. So he does indeed go and fights the serpent. Let's see, did I misspeak here? Yes, yes, I did. The man described the serpent, and in his mind's eye, we can see an eight-headed serpent. That wasn't Susana's impression. Uh, Susana O's impression was that it was a serpent, and when he went to uh, rid the world of this this evil monster, uh, he is struck by the fact that it is indeed eight serpent heads, uh, which kind of, I guess, is what allowed the serpent to kill eight of his daughters and one survived because there was only one per head and kept him busy while they escaped, I would presume. So Susana O attempts to dispatch the creature, but is not having much success. He's kind of outmanned or outgunned, as it were, however you want to look at it. Um, he turns tail, flees for another day, but brings the serpent with him. It, it chases him down. He goes back to the old man and his family and gives them orders to prepare a trap uh, in a specific way and to do things in a specific order in order to trap this serpent and ultimately defeat it. Um, he allows himself, Susana O, to be the bait, draws the serpent and draws it in in such a way that uh, the the it, it changes its uh, frame of reference from him as a bait, and then he has gone um, past an area that has an even better bait. So he was the initial to get it moving in a certain direction, and then once it was moving, he left. Uh, it, it prefers uh, beer over just about anything else. So they have set up a trap by which each of the heads uh, goes through a wooden structure, uh, kind of like a gate or a fence, to reach the vat of beer on the other side. And as it is there consuming the beer, the trap is sprung, trapping each of the heads laid out so that he can now walk by and cut off each head, succeeding, you know, as he, as he goes down the fence line. So he does... Um, finds as he's uh, killing the dragon that one of them has swallowed a sword and he extracts the sword and the sword um, he called it I think he named it Murakumo no Sorugi which is sword of the village of the clustering clouds 
And so now he has two swords, his, but I uh, would imagine that he now has decided to keep this sword um, as because it survived being in a dragon's gullet. It is a, you know, a plus one sword as opposed to his regular sword or, or whatever, however you want to, to, again, position that. So now we move our narrative uh, to later on. We are in the reign of the 12th emperor of Japan, Kiko. Yamato Dake is our protagonist in this, the third and final prologue, who is the son of the reigning emperor, ultimately a descendant of Amaterasu, who is a uh, higher-level kami, uh, one that Susana-o uh, also pledged uh, fealty or worshipped. So the son um, is not the uh, best or brightest heir, it would turn out. He, he's just not uh, the, the typical material that, it, that the mantle is passed down to. So he is being um, wined and dined by a higher up of the Saruga province that the prince has visited to, uh, to see how things are going. And part of the festivities is a planned hunt that Yamato Dake is going to uh, undertake with these. Interestingly, the uh, prince has orders to not partake in anything like that because of the danger to his person. Um, but his pride uh, won't allow him to be treated that way. He feels that he is capable and so uh, will undertake the hunt despite being ordered uh, by the emperor not to do any such thing. So he goes out on the hunt and apparently they're hunting Tokagi uh, because there's a panel here where they're killing several of them. And as they're riding around, the uh, provincial... I'm sorry I keep hesitating, guys. I, I, I don't know what to call these guys. They're not... I mean, there's nothing indicating rank or anything like that. But these um, these other provincial dudes... Okay, there. Um, tell the prince that there is a great kami that has been terrorizing a certain portion of the lands. And that they shouldn't go over there uh, in their hunt because of that danger. And, and the prince will hear none of it. He takes uh, the sword that he was bequeathed by his aunt. The name of the sword is Murakumo no Tsuragi, which we know is the sword that Susana-o found in the dragon. And uh, he carries it honorifically because of the uh, lineage of the sword, but he also carries it with him as his weapon. He goes to attack the Kami and finds out that it's an ambush uh, by these people, these other provincial dudes, and they attack him while he's out in the field by setting the field aflame. Uh, his horse ultimately dies in the attack. He is lost for what to do and feels um, checking out his person as to you know what he has that could possibly help him. And he has a bag that has a uh, fire strikers in it uh, to allow him to start a fire while he's out um, in, in, in the field doing things. So what he does is he takes his sword, uh, cuts back the field where he's at to uh, make a fire break. 
he then starts his own fire and using the sword changes the direction of the wind to blow the flames that he started at the men who started the fire, thus turning the tables on them and causing them to be caught up in a conflagration and ultimately die as the fire they started uh, burns out as it hits the break that he created. Having successfully done all this with the sword, he determines that from that day forward, the sword will now be called Grass Cutter. And so that is the beginning of the uh, legend, the story of the sword Grass Cutter. Now, the back, um, fortunately, uh, but also unfortunately, the entire back cover is text on the story itself. I have been reading bits and pieces uh, as they appear in the books uh, that were much shorter text pieces. This is literally the entire back cover. Um, I'm not about to sit here and read this to you because I would suggest that like 95% of you will fall asleep. and That's not what I'm after. Uh, But it's broken into notes on each of the three prologues, uh, background notes, because what Mr. Sakai did is he, he took several texts and melded them together and added some some flavoring of his own uh, to give us these three stories we just listened to. They're not direct translations. Um, they're more impressionistic, perhaps. And he explains in each of these text pieces uh, more about the originals and more about where and why he deviated from them. So very, very good background, particularly for these three pieces. Now, usually the text pieces he has in the back are, are much broader uh, as far as sources and things like that. But these text pieces um, pertain to these three prologue stories very specifically. Alrighty, uh, before we go, a couple things I want to throw out as far as feedback. Uh, one is from Mr. Steve Hubble. He left this comment attached to the episode 84 post on the website. He said, The man who is watching Usagi at the beginning of The Lord of Owls is not the same character as Oyama Tadanori, the Lord of Owls, which I believe I made that. I alluded to the fact, I think, that I thought those, wondered if those were the same. Um, Steve continues, He is a complete mystery which Stan Sakai has never gotten around to revealing, and he has never appeared in any other stories. And he provides a link to the Usagi Ojimbo uh, forum where that was discussed back in the day based on um, issue 11. Who is, the, who is the strange guy in issue 11 or something like that was the start of the thread. He goes on, as far as Oyama Tadanori, the Lord of Owls, has finally made a reappearance in Usagi Ojimbo 135. Uh, so that was, what, 25? between 25 and 30 issues ago, as I'm recording this, uh, about 120 issues from now, as far as what I'm covering in the in the podcast, uh, revealing a bit more about his nature. Awesome character, Steve tells us. And the other piece of feedback is something that I need to address. Um, someone indicated, Michael Wagner indicated. Is this available on iTunes? Want to download all episodes and listen, but the iTunes link goes nowhere. Uh, Now, one of uh, my 
compatriots at the um, Nerdy Legion podcasts also had been after me initially about that. That was finally fixed. It's been fixed for about three weeks now, I think, something like that. But uh, all of you that are listening, if you do use iTunes, that link should be repaired and lead to uh, this episode, previous, and all upcoming episodes as well. So sorry for that delay. Had some issues with it, but I think we finally got it straightened out. All right, guys. Next time, I will be looking at Usagi Ojimbo Grass Cutter Volume 2 from... uh, Yeah. Wow, I messed that up. From Usagi Ojimbo Issue 14 from the third volume, the Dark Horse Comics volume. That'll be dated June 1997. So if you guys can hang in there after this one, which I have a feeling was a little rough there to record and probably to listen to, I appreciate it. I'll talk to you guys again next time. Ciao. The Ronin Rabbit Podcast is a Teal Production, and as such, is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, Non-Derivatives, 3.0, Unported License.